The Stranger Things Podcast, Season 3, Episode 6, The Sauna Test. I've done things, Max, really bad things. Me too. Make me do it. Who made you do it? Cut it off. It's like a shadow. Like a giant shadow. Please, thanks. Please believe me, Rex. It's not my fault. Try to stop him, okay? I did. No, it's gonna be okay. Rex, It's gonna be okay. I want to help you. I want to help you. You just have to talk to us, okay? You have to talk to us. Max, get away from the door. What? Get away from the door! Hello and welcome to the Stranger Things podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to the Netflix original series. Stranger Things. Uh, Stop. Uh, I'm Daryl. <laughs> and I'm Addie. That's not how I sound. Addie's too busy laughing right now no, to introduce herself. I'm Addie. <laughs> how are you? Uh, I was good until you did that. You say that every week. Yep. You still haven't learned. <laughs> well, I do it. I hope the listeners aren't too irritated by it. I do it because I love your reaction. I love looking across the desk at you react to me doing that each week. You mean you like seeing me be annoyed with you each week? Yeah, I sure do. Well, I, oh my gosh, I know I say this every week, like I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to be talking about Stranger Things. This episode this week, the sauna test, you know, I watched the episodes, the next episode, I watched them Monday mornings and man, this day could not come fast enough. I loved this episode so much. Best episode of the season so far. One of the best of the entire series. And especially the back half. Oh, I can't. I'm so glad today, recording day is finally here that we can finally talk about the sauna test. Nerd. Thank you. I appreciate that. Did you also like this episode? Is it among your favorite? Yeah. This is when I really started to like Billy. Oh, you believed all that garbage we just heard in the intro, huh? It wasn't garbage. Oh, well, we'll talk about that. Like we might have differing opinions on that, it sounds like. But I think we can agree this episode was great. It definitely turned things up. And for me, I mean, I think, I hope this is a sign of, of the rest of the season just continuing to uh, grow and, and get better. So anyway, season three, episode four, The Sauna Test. And this was written by Kate Treffrey and directed by Sean Levy. And uh, lots of good stuff to happen. Here's the episode recap. Billy and Heather take her parents to the mill where they are also possessed. Later, Nancy and Jonathan are fired by Tom. Still curious, Nancy goes to visit Mrs. Driscoll at the hospital. Eleven and Max reunite with Mike, Will, and Lucas after hearing about Will's latest sensing. The group determined that the mind flayer still resides in the real world, having possessed Billy. That night, the five trap Billy in the pool's sauna, confirming he is possessed. Billy gains superhuman strength and breaks free at the same time that Nancy witnesses Mrs. Driscoll similarly transform. 
Hopper recalls seeing the Russian man that attacked him, Grigori, previously meeting with Mayor Klein. Hopper and Joyce force Klein to reveal that Grigori works for the owners of Starcourt, who have bought up additional abandoned properties around Hawkins. At Starcourt, Dustin, Steve, and Robin enlist Erica to break into the storeroom, finding too late that it is an elevator as it takes them deep below the mall. Billy regroups with Heather at the mill, where dozens of other Hawkins citizens have been possessed. All right, let's talk about this thing. Okay. All right, so episode starts out uh, with the girls, Max and Elle, at Max's house with the sleepover, reading comics. Uh-huh. Yeah? Did you take note of any of the comics that were in that scene? I did, actually. All of them. Wonder Woman 324 from April of 1985. Wonder Woman 325, May of 1985. Um, Wonder Woman 326 from July 1985. And Green Lantern 184 from January 1985 and Green Lantern 185, February 1985. That's right. Did you happen to read any of those or take any, uh, do any research on any of those? No, I just noticed what they were. I see. Well, nice sleuthing. <laughs> it's okay that you took credit for that. Um, <laughs> I did. I, I uh, like freeze framed all of those to try to find out which comics they were and and did some sleuthing. I do have some thoughts on on these. I'd read all of those plus uh, skimmed through, although a little more than skimmed, uh, Wonder Woman 327, which I think is also very relevant to the plot line. Uh, as I understand it, Bradley has some thoughts on these comics. Like I think he, he just told me, I haven't listened to it yet. He told me his feedback is dedicated to the comics. So we'll cover those then. But I found them to be very interesting, and I can see a lot of parallels between the comics and what we're seeing in Stranger Things this season. So looking forward to talking more about that. Uh, I like that, uh, you know, Max is getting uh, Elle's eyes open. We hear later in the episode, you know, you know that feeling like when the roller coaster drops and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Elle's like, no. You know? Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. So I, I do like that Max is helping her experience some things that, you know, comics here that she hasn't got to experience before. Yeah, they should go to an amusement park together. Mm, totally should. Uh, Eleven would love that. But they're talking about Billy and... Eleven is really concerned that something was wrong with Billy. And Max is like, no, nah, he's just weird. You know, I like, how does Max, like, does she just think that Billy was being chilly, cheesy just because he was trying to schmooze over Heather's parents? Like she's yeah, totally dismissing I think, it. That I one. think that's what she thought. And since she wasn't around for season one, she still doesn't really like understand completely what's going on. So that's um, fair. I feel like she thinks her, because she knows her brother the best, um, well, more than 11 does. Right. So I feel like she's just like, oh, yeah, he's probably just trying to, you know, like kiss up to the parents or whatever. And that's it. Because, you know, she saw them there. Yeah. And she definitely doesn't understand what 11 saw when she went into the void. I mean, no one really understands that except 11. Yeah. And she couldn't even put it in words. Yeah. But I'm like, still surprised. Screaming. I mean, Billy, I know he's like can turn on the charm, but that was a little more than charm. But. I'm I'm willing to go with it. I mean, I think you're exactly right. I, I think that's what she's thinking. We get the the parents, Heather's parents at the mill. We see them being... Um, Consumed. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. And we get our best shot so far of the monster, unless you saw the trailer. There was a, a glimpse of the monster in the preseason trailer that was, you know, showed more than this did. But this is the best look we've seen so far this season of the monster. 
And it gets a little bit more terrifying every time we see it, I think. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Joyce and Hopper. Where are they? They're at the cabin. She took him back Mm -hmm. to the cabin. He's naked and vomiting. Oh, that was funny. (laughs) So he just like didn't realize that he was naked. He just stood up and Joyce is like, whoa. (laughs) And then when he vomited and she's just like, because it's, you know, obviously vomiting is gross. When it's your own kids vomiting, it's like you have to deal with it. It's okay. You know, you don't like it, but you deal with it. But this is not her kid vomiting. And yet she's kind of trying to have to play the mother slash nurse role here. So it's, I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. She she just like holds it and she just kind of looks away. <laughs> yeah. Her facial expression was, was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I made the prediction a couple of weeks ago about Mr. Clark and Joyce. That's seeming like a pretty ridiculous prediction at this oh, yeah. point. <laughs> we, I hope we get Mr. Clark this season. Uh, I thought it was going to be the sign of things to come where he was going to be involved with the mystery. But I mean, we're halfway through the season. There's still time for him to come back. But yeah, that was, seems like a pretty ridiculous prediction at this point. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you're going to say? Uh-huh. Okay. I think it was funny how she holds up the paper and she's like, oh, I got the license plate. And they're like, half of it's blank. And then she was unsure of like the other ones that she had on there already. And yeah, so that was kind of funny. She was just trying so hard to help. It is funny. Well, I blame TV for this because they give us examples just like this. I have two letters and one of them might be a B or it could be an eight. I don't know. And then five minutes later, the police have tracked it down and they know exactly because this is what happens on TV shows. So she's been, she's seen things like this on TV shows and she assumes that that's the way it works in the real world, but maybe she should stick to sales. (laughs) Yeah. Which is ironic because later in the episode, he's going to offer her a job. Yeah. And then she's like, Oh, I have to see your face every day. I don't think so. (laughs) They're great together. Yeah. Yeah. Way better than Jot. Yeah. You know who else is great together? Dustin and Steve. Yeah. And of course, Robin as well. But I loved, so we get the scene with them and, and Steve's like, I could go in there. I can sneak in there and I can, you know, take him down. And he's stealthy like a ninja. Right. Which harkens back to season one. Yeah. Which is great. And then Dustin starts reminding him of all the times he's gotten beat up, which was awesome. That was so funny. Like, like Billy last season and then Jonathan, Jonathan season one. He was like, have you ever won a fight? <laughs> There's a couple of times Dustin digs at him in this episode, but Dustin also has a, lo- a line that's really very cool that we'll we'll get to nor- near the end. But I genuinely love Dustin and Steve. It's it's really good stuff. Yeah, and Robin is right there with. Him. I mean, she's she's awesome too. Robin's and, like my favorite character. Yeah, she's more of her, please. And then when um, Robin runs off, we don't know where she's going. She takes the tip money. She's going to get the plans for the mall. And Dustin's licking the scooper, the ice cream scooper, which <laughs> I hope Steve eventually washed that before he started s- serving ice cream with it again. But that was hilarious, dude. And then when the, Steve like spun it around and holstered it, like yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, how long he had to practice for that? He didn't. He's he's Steve. All right, Tom and the paper goes off on Nancy Jonathan. I feel like he shouldn't have fired Jonathan because he was just dragged into it. True, but I mean, he was every bit of a part of it as as Nancy was. We know the full story or a fuller story of what's going on, but given what he knows, even though even not being possessed by the mind flayer and even not being a jerk, a sexist jerk like we've seen, he is justified in firing them, I think, at this point. 
Yeah, but I feel like he should have trusted Nancy because she knows what she's talking about. Totally. I'm totally with you on that. But the fact is, she disobeyed orders. She was misrepresenting herself as a reporter, which she's not. That's not her position in the paper. She works for the paper. She's not a reporter. Some things like that justify. I'm not saying I like the guy. I'm not saying the guy's behavior is justified. I'm saying this specific action. But I like what comes of it. I mean, we get that great scene with Nancy and her mom. We get to see Karen do some parenting, some real parenting for once. Yeah, maybe Ted will step up. (laughs) And Nancy like insults Ted and they both laugh about it. You're like, I get my fighting spirit from dad. And then they both just laugh like, no, we both know that's not true. Dang. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously, Karen's advice got Nancy in some trouble. Well, potentially. Like, we don't know what's going on at the hospital with Mrs. Driscoll. But I do like this scene. I like the bond between them. I like. I, I think her advice was was great. Actually, it may it may end up getting Nancy in trouble, but you know her advice of of don't let this get you down. If you believe in this, go for it. Prove them wrong. Sell it to a bigger paper. You know, stand up for yourself. Good stuff. I really liked it. I really liked this whole scene and the bond between them. It was good. Yeah, me too. I liked that scene. Okay, so the whole the whole kid group finally comes together, right? Yeah, they stop ignoring their calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is kind of cool. Like, okay, so last week we talked about you had L and Max, you had the three boys, and then you had Nancy and Jonathan, and you had Hopper and Joyce, and we still have. Oh, and you got you know the Scoops Ahoy gang, but a little bit change in those dynamics. Scoops Ahoy gang now officially includes Erica and the other kids have joined into one one group again obviously sans dustin since he's with scoops ahoy gang but i like it i I do like that they're getting together too many times in tv we see like if the groups would just communicate you know they would solve things and figure things out a whole lot quicker yeah like they did in season one yeah exactly so i like that at least here we have a grouping of the groups will theorizes that the mind flayer that was inside of him got locked inside our world, which is the theory that myself and uh, a few others had. I was certainly wasn't alone in that theory. So that's cool. You know, I got something right. Um, unlike the Joyce. And the, uh, Jot. Yeah. Which is cool. I liked that he did the thing with the charcoal and the hand and the, you know, it was a nice visual that, that they gave us. Max points out if the head gets cut off, the, the body dies talking about the demodogs, but you know, the difference here as I see it is this was a piece of the mind flare itself. It wasn't something that was subject to the mind flare. It was a piece of the mind flare that was inside Will. So therefore it was able to live, you know, on its own. It didn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that how you see it? Or do you think, do you have a different theory as to why it didn't die when the mind flare was locked away? I don't know. I just thought it didn't die because it escaped Will. It didn't kill him. So, I mean, I feel like if they killed Will, whenever they had him in Hopper's cabin, it was really hot. Yeah. I feel like if they killed him, it would have killed that part of the Mind Flayer too. But since they didn't, and they didn't want to sacrifice Will for some reason, um, it just like escaped and it continued to live. Yeah. Okay. I think we're on the same page. So... Last week during our podcast recording, you mentioned that the guy that beat up Hopper was the same guy that passed by or walked by Hopper when he was waiting to see Mayor Klein. And I didn't remember that. Like I was thinking the first time we had seen that guy 
was when Hopper bumped into him at the restaurant. So when I was editing last week's episode and I got to that part, I was like, oh, I want to see this. So I, I stopped editing. I pulled up Stranger Things on Netflix and I went back to that episode, went back to when Hopper was waiting outside of Mayor Klein's office and I saw him walk by and I was like, oh my gosh, this means so much. This means that Mayor Klein is in it with the Russians. It means that that the Russians are behind Starcourt and Mayor Klein is in their pocket and so many other things. And I typed out this big theory. It was obvious to me at that point. It wasn't even, I don't even call it a theory. And I actually put it in our notes for this week. That was going to be my first note. And I was going to bring this up and throw it out there as a theory. And then all of that got pretty much proved in, in this episode. So my hat is off to you for noticing that and picking up on that detail that I missed. And I'm sure many more people were like you and saw it and <laughs> because it, it does seem kind of obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me. And so kudos to you for picking up on think, that. I don't think, like, okay, I don't think I would have noticed it if I didn't binge watch it because it, it does like come back in this episode mm -hmm. so i guess that's what made me like you know pick up on it okay. so i honestly probably wouldn't have put two and two together if it wasn't for this episode okay well i guess you're being honest about it but we do see you know we get some <laughs> we hadn't really seen much of mary klein since that original scene with him uh in that episode but we got quite a bit of him this <laughs> this episode. <laughs> yeah. And it was great. Hopper was just not having any of his nonsense. I loved Joyce in this scene though. <laughs> like so he goes into the office, locks the door, which you already know something's gonna happen when he right. locks the door. <laughs> right. And then she's just like talking to the secretary. And at one point the secretary tries to pick up the phone and Joyce says, who are you going to call the police? Right. <laughs> and she just like unplugs it. And like, as they're leaving, she says, have a good day. <laughs> right. Joyce was awesome. It seems weird to, to say this, given all that he did to Mayor Klein, you know, putting his finger in the cigar thing and, and oh, that made breaking me cringe. his nose and punching him and all that stuff. But I got to tell you, if I were Hopper and someone said to my face, don't give me the dead daughter sob story because I don't care. I would have thrown that guy out the window. I mean, Hopper, Hopper showed some restraint, if you're asking me. Yeah. Any lack of love that we had for Klein based on our earlier in, encounter with him? It, like, if there was any inkling of, of, hey, he's all right. He's a sleazeball, but I think he could be a... No, forget it. You don't say that to somebody. If you have any amount of decency and care and respect for another human, you don't. Oh, my word. I was. Mm. So the stuff that Hopper did doesn't seem like as bad as what the mayor did, because like he was cheating on his wife. Yeah. And he, you know, said the thing about the dead daughter. Oh, yeah. Then he was like, you know, doing cocaine or whatever. Right. Yep. And and then, you know, Hopper was I mean, yeah, he was like doing drugs, but he got over that. Yeah. And. Drinking on the job, I mean, like, doesn't, doesn't like everyone in the 80s do that? <laughs> they show drinking in like every scene. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's a good question. You can say the same about cocaine, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So he has way more blackmail on Mayor Klein than he, uh, than Klein does on Hopper. Yeah. <laughs> so the part where he so it's like, oh, that's a nice ring. It'd be a shame if like, you lost it or something. And he, yeah. like, tries to cut his finger off. That made me cringe so much. 
Do you watch Stranger Things with headphones? Yeah. Yeah, so do I. So when he had his finger in there and he's just like pushing it down, you hear the little... Yeah, I'm just like, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely making me cringe too. Yeah. In I, a good way. Like, oh, is he going to do it or not? You know? I And he went like this. I, I thought like he, he raised his hand all the way up. I thought he was just going to do it yeah. or at least, you know, do it like a little bit more. Yeah. But he didn't. And he just, you know, like kidnapped him. So I'm still trying to figure out what's going on here. I even tried to find maps of Hawkins. Uh, I know that there's the map that we kind of see in his home that comes into play. Joyce sees that and stuff like that. But I also tried to find online. We got the map, I think last, no, season one, uh, when they had put on the map where all the Demogorgon sightings were. Is that what it was? Or was it yeah. pumpkin patches? And it kind of circled oh, wait. them. Yeah, that was season two. Yeah. So that was kind of a map of Hawkins that we got. There was one in season one. Nancy and Jonathan had one for the Demogorgon sightings, but there was another one in season two for the pumpkin patches. But none of those were really what I was looking for. I was looking, you know, where is the mall in relation to the lab, for example? That's really what I wanted to know. And I did find... Uh, a really well done map. Um, I think it was on um, Deviant Art or someplace like that that someone had put together. But they were showing the mall and the lab to be on the opposite sides of town, which debunks my theory. Either that, or they got a long tunnel. I was thinking that the lab and the mall and the property that's a, that you know they're investigating here were all on the same side of town because remember the theory i said that that 11 is a russian spy and that the russians and the hawkins lab or at least dr brenner were working together i still think that's true and i, I think that's becoming more of a real a, a possibility but my theory was going to be that the mall i mean obviously the mall is a cover for the russians um, and we see the elevator and so I was thinking that they bought all these this property in the mall so they could link the lab with the with the mall or with their underground layer. I don't know. I still don't know what to make of all this, but I'm really intrigued by it and all the property that, that the deeds and stuff they get from the mayor. Uh, it's a plot twist I didn't see really coming that I'm very intrigued about. Uh, Nancy Jonathan grew up in different parts of town. Um we talked back in season one about how Steve and Nancy seem to be a better fit. You know, they're, if, if they're going to go the same route that Ted and Karen did, you know, that's a convenient relationship, blah, blah, blah. But Nancy and Jonathan seem to have a better connection. And if, if, if they can get over the stereotypes or even uh, the expectations or the appearances, you know, they might hit it off. Well, this episode, they hit a pretty big road bump. You know, where Nancy's in her little bubble and Jonathan's kind of in his and, you know, he's oblivious to her challenges as a woman, even though he sees it happening, he doesn't fully understand it. She's kind of oblivious on how important this job is to him, even though they're interns, because income is different for him than it is for her. And so these two. Wait, interns got paid back then? Still today, it, it depends. Some interns are free and some interns are paid internships. It kind of depends on the employer. Oh. Um, but yeah, so they have a bursting of bubbles, shall we say. Yeah. This scene made me sad. Did it? Yeah. I didn't want them to break up. Well, I was going to say, are they, are they broken up? Are they on a break? I think they're just having a disagreement. Yeah. That's the way I would put it too. I don't think they're officially broken up. They need to 
talk about it and get them to an understanding, but I think it's just a fight. I don't think it's a breakup. Yeah, I mean, she didn't She didn't even say what Eleven did, so that's what makes it official, whatever she oh. <laughs> don't like. I thought you meant, like, what Eleven did, like, some act, not, not, I, I know what you mean now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. She, she needs Max to talk to. <laughs> she needs a Max in her life, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Who do you side with here, or or do you? When you were hearing their argument, did you find yourself identifying or, or choosing one side, feeling more compassion towards one side versus the other? Yeah, I was on Nancy's side because he didn't even believe in her, even though... So in season one, whenever Joyce was leaving the morgue and she was just walking down the street by herself, Jonathan was like, will you please get in the car? And she refused. So then he was like, well, while you're talking to Christmas lights, we're going to have a funeral for Will. And he didn't believe her and she ended up being right. I feel like this is like this is another example of that because mm. he's not believing her. But like, she's probably going to be right. She's she's Nancy. She knows what she's doing. Because if she if she didn't believe it, then whenever the guys at the paper were like, oh, yeah, this isn't going to happen. Like, this this is fake. Then she would have been like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. But if she actually believes in it, then she's probably right. Like, and Johnson's not even trusting her. But I do feel like Nancy was a little wrong getting them fired. But at the same time, Johnson should have believed her. I don't really disagree with anything. I, I do think that, you know, when they first encountered Mrs. Driscoll and that rat was, you know, moments later it exploded, uh, Nancy was off, you know, doing the next thing and really wasn't listening to Jonathan in that moment either. And had she listened to Jonathan, they would have seen some really strong evidence that they're still trying to find. But from his point of view, man, they don't have money. You know, we saw that early on. He was taking extra shifts. Yeah, like to, the, one of the first scenes. That's exactly right. That's why he wasn't at home when Will disappeared. And so money's really important. And she has no concept of that. Ted has a really well-paying job. What they, does he do? He just sleeps. Wait, we don't know what he does, at least as far as I can recall. So money's never been an issue in their household. She's always lived under the security of that. And so she has no concept of what it's like to struggle financially the way that he does. So I can see his point of view too. I I can't pick a side here. I think that they're honestly. I think that they're both equally right. And if they'll come together and work this out, which I think they will, they're going to be better for it. And obviously, they've got bigger things right now with Miss Driscoll turning into some weird thing. But they're onto something that's going to make them stronger if if they'll work it out. And I think they will. Yeah, they'll come to a better understanding of of each other. You know. So we'll see. We'll see how, how it happens. But it was a good scene either way. Okay, let's move on to back to Team Scoops Ahoy. Uh, Scoops Ahoy Gang is what we called them, right? Is there another name that they're going by online? There's a Scoops Ahoy Gang yet. Scoops Troop. Scoops Troop. Oh, I like that. All right. It, that That is a minor spoiler, though. It's just what they call them in the show. Oh, okay. Is it? Yeah. But so it calls them okay. Scoops Troop. Scoops Troop. All right. I like it. Steve's trying to push Dustin into the air duct, and this was this again, so funny. So, Touch my butt! I don't care! <laughs> They're just so good together. Yeah. That would have been so funny to watch them film that. It was hilarious. Yeah. And then Steve trying to explain, like you mentioned two or three podcast episodes ago, the real-life disease that Gaten has which yeah. is the same disease that Dustin has. Like they wrote it into the show and like Steve couldn't 
tell. <laughs> Clyde Oakland rolled his Yeah, he could. He's like, and he was <laughs> like, it's like, uh, Something, yeah, I don't know. He's like missing bones and stuff. Can been like gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you mean gumby? And he's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's gumbo. <laughs> Steve's an idiot. He's a funny idiot, though. He, he's funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hate him, but. Whatever. You love Steve. No. You've got a big smile on your face right now. <laughs> you can cover it up. I still see the smile in your eyes. <laughs> And Eddie's now covering her entire face. Okay. It's like you're playing peekaboo when you were two years old. Like, I couldn't see you when you would cover your face. You didn't think I could be seen anymore. Where'd Eddie go? There she is. <laughs> wow, that brings back memories. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about Will describing what it's like to be used by the Mind Flayer. This was so good in so many ways. It was just brief, but to see all the kids again, minus Dustin, kind of talking and planning and scheming. And to see Will as a part of that, making a contribution to the group, being used to, you know, fight the good fight, it was really awesome. That's like what we've been hoping to see all season. So I loved this very, very much. Yeah. I also like how they came up with a plan so fast. Like they're they're geniuses. All They're just smart. And I like how whenever Lucas and Will were in the storage room or whatever, he apologizes to Will and she just seems so sincere. Sincere, yeah. Like he actually felt bad for hurting Will. And that was sweet. You're totally right. I love that. And I think he was sincere. I don't think it was just, oh, this is an awkward, this is going to be awkward now that we're together if I don't say something. I think he really was genuine in his Oh, yeah. And the scene with Eleven and Mike, <laughs> she was just like, you're not funny. Stop talking to me. <laughs> that scene went completely differently than I thought it would. You remember I made a prediction earlier in the season that I said Hopper's going to die, I think, because, you know, his relationship with Joyce, he's been rejected by her. He's going to when when Eleven finds out that Mike did what he did to her because of threats by Hopper, that's going to splinter that relationship and Hopper's going to be by himself and it's going to put him in a position where he's going to either be dispensable or sacrifice himself or do, do something like it. I still can't figure it out. I've backed off that theory. I don't, I don't know that I really feel that way either, but I still felt like when 11 finds out that Mike did that because of Hopper, she's going to be mad at Hopper and that still may come, but it certainly didn't come here. She was like, well, you know what? I am my own person. And, you know, starts talking about some of the things that her and Max have been talking about. And then big deal. She reveals that she spied on Mike. She broke the rules and spied on Mike. And so now Mike's got every right to be mad at her. So I, I don't know. I, I had the feeling that they were going to want to get back together, but you know, they weren't going to be brought, be able to get back together because you know, this stuff was going to get in the way and then she's going to get captured or something at the end of the season was my prediction. I still think that could happen, but this encounter, their next conversation about those topics did not go the way that I thought it would. And with her not caring that seemingly to care that Hopper threatened Mike and then her saying, acknowledging that she spied on Mike and used her powers like that. That's not good. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with them. They also have some more shared trauma later in the episode. So all that may be easily forgiven and forgotten because she almost dies. Spoiler, spoiler, alert. Come on, dad. Yeah. How can you still think Erica's annoying? She's so funny. And I, I love her outfit, like the 
different pastel colors. Those are cute. I would definitely wear that. She's less annoying in this episode. I think what I find annoying about her is every line that she delivers is with attitude. It's like she's incapable of having a conversation with someone without giving sass and attitude with it, even when it's completely unnecessary. She's the youngest one there. She has to show her uh, show them who's boss. She's not boss. That's the problem. <laughs> she's funny. I love her. She was since so she was the only one that could fit into the vent. Yeah. Um. Do you remember like in the Stranger Things game, um, uh, like the mobile one? Yeah. Where you Will. could yeah, Will could crawl through the tunnels and stuff. I wonder if Will could fit in there. I don't know. He's grown a lot since then. He really has. I forgot about that. That's a good tie-in for sure. Because Will's the smallest of the kids. Yeah, because he's and he was he's the, the only youngest. one. Yeah, he was the only one you could send through tunnels or or like water drainage pipes or or anything like that. I do like Operation Child Endangerment. That's a great name. Yeah. Like I said, she's more tolerable in this episode for sure. I think the. Uh, the scene of her crawling through the air ducts with the flashlights totally reminds me of Die Hard. I think they're paying homage to Die Hard in, in that scene. This is where we get the you can't spell America without Erica line, which they used for a 4th of July promo that they put out. So, yes, there's some likable stuff here. She's funny. I like her. She thinks she's getting ice cream for life, but she's mistaken. She's only going to get free ice cream as long as Steve or Robin are working at Scoops Ahoy. That is true. The minute both of them are gone, her free ice cream train is is gone. They just have to work there forever. <laughs> right. I guess she thinks they will. Yeah. I do I do appreciate her her sense of uh capitalism and and taking advantage of her assets. Uh, I don't think I knew what capitalism was when I was 10, so <laughs> I don't know that I did either now that you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So th- there's definitely some likable things, but she is still annoying. She's less annoying in this. She's episode. not annoying to me. Okay. So Erica makes it to the room and they find some weird green stuff. I'm assuming you know more about what this stuff is and you Juice. can't say too much. Juice. <laughs> yes. I don't know what to make of it. Like it looked like little stuff was swimming around in there. There's some stuff moving around. So, it's sparkling water. Yeah. It's it's uh, LaCroix. Like 80s LaCroix. For me, when I see like green stuff in a vial like that, I want to say it's radioactive, it's some sort of energy source, and it could be those things, but I wouldn't think it would be moving around like that. So those are still my only thoughts, is, is that it's some sort of energy source where it's radioactive or both, but I don't know what it's made of. Maybe it's alien. Yeah. I know you can't say, say anything, so, um, but it's interesting. I was shocked when the I wasn't shocked when the walls came down. I was shocked when it turned out that, that room was an elevator. Never saw that coming. What about you? I don't know. I don't remember what I thought. I probably just thought it was a room, but I wasn't really surprised it was an elevator. I mean, like at Stranger Things, anything could happen. That's true. I mean, I don't I I don't I don't think it was outside the realm of possibility. I just never saw it coming. Yeah. Again, Dustin with the buttons. Like <laughs> I don't like, think you're doing anything wrong, it. though. I don't. Yeah, you're yeah. back to what, what season two, Hawkins Lab, trying yeah. to open the gate. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think he did anything wrong. I think that it could be that someone at the bottom of the shaft, you know, triggered the elevator to come pick them up, right? And it just so happened they were in in the room. It could be as innocent as that, or it could be they tripped a booby trap, and I don't know. But they're in a heck of trouble. 
Yeah. No one knows they're there because they haven't told the authorities, like you were saying. There are three kids up against Russians with guns. I mean, they're going to find themselves in a, four of them. in a Goonies situation. You're right. I can count. So, but still, like it's it's like I said, Goonies situation. You have the kids versus the, the guys with the guns. So they'll, they'll obviously make their way out of it. I don't think any of them are going to die, but they're in heck of trouble. Can't wait to see how this, how they're going to get themselves out of this situation. Yeah. Who are they going to call? All right. Uh, well, I guess the only thing left to talk about here is the last uh, scene, the biggest scene of the season so far. So whenever Billy is in the sauna, if you burst through the window, he says the F word. And all of my friends thought that was the funniest thing ever. So we just like named the group chat. Billy said the F word. And it was, <laughs> so we would say over and over, like, let's say it was like dead silent or something. One of us would just say, Billy said the F word. And we would all just start laughing. <laughs> Yeah, I think your mom was pretty surprised by that. That's the first time the show's used that word, as far as I know. It's I think it's the only time that I can since it's rated PG-14 or whatever. Yeah, I don't know how that works for TV shows. Like with movies, you get one of those. Yeah, like in Bohemian the, Rhapsody. They yeah. said it once. As long as it's not in the sexual context, you can use one of those. I don't know how it works for TV, but still a very powerful scene. Uh, so much goodness with the the plan to lure Billy into the sauna. Uh, great acting all around. Um, Dacre was fantastic in this. Oh yeah, scene. I I loved his acting. Whenever he was t- pleading with Max, yeah, I I feel like he wasn't faking it because in season two when Will is flayed, um, yes. they take him to the shed. Yes, and um, he's like tapping out the thing, so he's communicating with them. So I feel like right then, whenever Billy was saying all that. That was him, like, actually being sad. Because, like, the, um, like, right after Will got all the soldiers killed, he was like, it it made me do it. I didn't want to. I'm sorry. So, Billy was doing the same thing. Like, he didn't, he didn't want to do that. So, I feel like he was just telling Max that it wasn't his fault. And he, I mean, I feel like after season two, he kind of looks up to Max now because, I mean, she, she kind of defeated him. (laughs) So, he wanted her to think that he wasn't a bad person. So then like whenever he starts grabbing the thing and, you know, punches out the window, that's when the flare takes over. Man, I, I wouldn't disagree with you except that while he's still begging and pleading and telling them he's sorry and blah, 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 he's grabbing that tile that he's clearly hoping to use to attack them with or something. So it uses a weapon. Having said that, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I do think that Billy regrets the things that he was, that he has done, but I, I still feel like throughout that entire situation, that was the mind flayer saying those things, trying to manipulate them. Because as I said, while he's not been activated yet, like he hasn't turned all gray veiny or whatever you want to call it when he's grabbing that tile. So I still feel like that was the mind flare. It hadn't fully activated him. It hadn't fully like, you know, like incredible Hulk. You don't like me when I'm angry type of thing. Like he turns into a little bit moment later, but I still feel like that was mind flare talking, trying to manipulate them. Not genuineness from Billy. Again, not to say that Billy wouldn't agree with those, those sentiments. I just don't think that was Billy. That's why I called it garbage earlier in the episode. Well, whenever Will was in the, 
shed. The mind player was controlling his mind, but Will was controlling his body. I feel like it was like opposite here. Like the mind player was controlling his body because he was the one making him grab the tile, but Billy was the one saying all that stuff. Okay. I mean, you you could totally be right. I'm not going to. I think your argument is is, uh, very sound. I'm just going to disagree. Well, okay. So I'm right about this. And the Demo- uh, the Demogorgon uh, in season one. You talking about the the wrist rocket? Yeah. I mean, we finally got to see it legitimately used in this episode. How'd you feel about that? It was nice to actually see it. This was the second time in the series. The uh, first. Second. Okay. We've been over this, Dad. I know. <laughs> I'm very aware. <laughs> we we've got some feedback from Yodological, and I haven't oh, listened great. to all of it. I did listen to a bit a bit of it. And I, I'm pretty sure he's going to mention this. So I can't wait for that. Great. Yeah. This was such a great scene, though. I mean, when he does get loose and, you know, goes toe to toe with Eleven, I mean, he would have killed her if it wasn't for Mike. Like, Will and Max and Lucas are just standing there. And I'm glad Mike was able to have the wherewithal to grab that pipe and take some action because Billy probably would have killed Eleven. I'm not saying... Like the show wouldn't have killed her. They wouldn't have, you know, they would have written it a different way that she gets saved. But uh, at least at this point, they're not going to kill 11 on uh, season three, episode four, right? Maybe season three, episode eight. But anyway, it was power. I was scared for her, like legit scared for 11. And now I'm like, I'm blown away by this because like, that's the first time that we've seen her almost be bested. And Billy is a representation. He is he is someone who is possessed by the mind flare. He is not the mind flare. He is not the blob thing at the mill. Like I feel like that wasn't even the the most powerful thing that she's going to be facing this season, and it almost got the best of her. So I'm pretty concerned. Like, how is this group going to be able to overcome? Obviously, that's the point. They're trying to show us that things are continuing to escalate, and the enemies are more powerful. What she easily disintegrated in episode in season one was then improved upon in power uh, in season two. It took both nostrils bleeding and every bit of power to close the gate on the mind flare in season two. And here we have season three where just this representation of it almost killed her. Now, maybe it's because it caught her off guard a little bit. You know, that certainly could be the case, but still... I think it was for me it was it was meant to show how much more power is going to be needed this season to overcome this foe and I don't know where that extra power is going to come from at this point. So I'm very intrigued and I I'm I'm perplexed as like I don't see Callie coming back for example. I don't I don't see that happening. Callie Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. It could be that Brenner shows up and Brenner's not a Russian and he's got you know some answers or it could be that she just needs to be and the right, a better frame of mind, a better plan of attack and, and have the ability to use her full powers. You know, like I said, she was a little bit caught off guard by this. Um, I don't know. There's definitely some ways that it could happen, but right now I'm, I'm pretty concerned with their abilities to be able to overcome. I'll say this now before I forget, even though it, was, it ties into the comics, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns out whether the Russians are working with, with the Hawkins lab or not, whether that's, you know, the, the Russians versus the Americans or the Russians with the Americans, I wouldn't be surprised at some point this season if they say, holy crap, we've opened Pandora's box and we had no idea what was inside it. 
and we see them come along to assist to expel the force. That's based off of some of the storylines in the comics, but I I will throw that out there because I don't know what all Bradley's going to say, and I didn't want to forget that. Okay. Anything else? I mean, there's a lot in this scene. I don't want to take. I don't want to take away from your thoughts on this. Oh, whenever Billy and Eleven were filming the scene, um, or Millie and Dacre were filming the scene, they were working on it for a long time. They did different like takes of it and different camera angles. So whenever Eleven collapses into Mike, mm-hmm. that's from like real exhaustion because they've been filming so long. Oh wow! Yeah, it was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, this scene is was so well done. I mean, the Billy getting energized and Mrs. Driscoll getting energized at the same time and throwing Billy through the wall like Eleven did and him scurrying away and just the fight that happened with pinning him to the wall with the with the uh the weights and him almost choking her to death and it was it was intense and and all of that that happened with him while he was still in the sauna. Again, him pleading with them and, and Max's reaction to that and trying to figure out if she, you know, should believe him or not. Kind of like when, when Will was trying to plead with Joyce and, and Jonathan last season. And it was really well done. Everyone did such a fantastic job on their performances and it was well written and well directed and choreographed the stunts and everything. I can't say enough about this this scene. It was easily one of the best scenes of the entire series so far. And um, I hope it's not the best scene of the season because um, that would be disappointing to think that the climax or the best scene of the season came mid, mid, midpoint. Yeah, it was a really good scene. I loved it. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we mentioned Miss Driscoll a little bit. She kind of comes uh, and gets crazy at the same time Billy did. I don't know what to make of that exactly, except that maybe it's the turning point where the, mind flare or whatever it is. I mean, when Billy's describing, it's like a shadow. I mean, it feels just like the mind flare, right? So that's, you know, I feel like the mind flare really is what's behind all of this. And I guess, you know, my only theory on that is he realizes he can't hide. He's been discovered. No point in hiding anymore. It's time to, it's time, you know, to take action and the mind flare, I mean, so we'll find out because at the end of the episode, we see at the mill, Heather and Billy, and we get the reveal of it's not just them and her parents is actually, um, I think I counted a dozen, but I'm sure there were more than that in the shadows. Oh yeah. There was so. a little boy in there. Or like, it was there really, mm-hmm. I don't think I saw that. I don't know. He was probably about the same age as maybe like, well, I mean, they're all the same, supposed to be the same age, but he was probably like 12, 13, 14, you know, somewhere around there. But you know, I'm terrible at telling age. So he could be, you know, like 20. And, um, <laughs> I don't think you're that bad. <laughs> I want to know what his story is. Like, how did he get flayed? Mm-hmm. And the the song choice again here, I guess it's called "We'll Meet Again." I didn't even look it up, but yeah, it was a like it was a nice little "We'll Meet Again." I mean, to me, it was. There's no subtlety here in this song choice. Oh, know? definitely not. The song <laughs> it, the song is titled "We'll Meet Again" because yeah. I watch it with the captions on it. It says "We'll Meet Again" starts playing. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I did that too. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Again, no subtlety. There'll be a rematch between, I don't know if it'll be between Billy and Eleven or if it'll just be between the Mind Flare and Eleven. But I mean, those are kind of one and the same essentially, but so good. Okay. Anything else to say about the episode? Stay strange. 
<laughs> What's your rating for this one? Um, 10 Nancy Driscoll's. Nice. I rated it 9.5 icy drinks. Wait, where'd you get the icy drinks from? Billy was drinking that when he was on top of his lifeguard stand. Oh. Yeah, he was drinking an icy, like doing anything. He was covered with, you know, trying to keep the sun off of him. He had a, like a blanket or something on top of him and oh, yeah. long sleeves and he's they, drinking they an icy like, drink. Billy wearing a shirt. Yeah, that is kind of weird. <laughs> it's true though. Yeah. Yeah. I rated it 9.5 because as I mentioned, it really ramps up the final 15 to 20 minutes of the episode. And the so the first 30 to 40 minutes of the episode was good, but not like the final bit was. And so had the whole episode been at that level, it might've been overwhelming, but yeah. I, I would have probably given, I would have given that a 10. And I still feel like there's, this isn't the best of this, of the season that we will get. And so I needed to leave room for something better. So I, I gave it a 9.5. All right, let's talk about listener feedback. All right, we're going to get kicked off with some uh, feedback we have from some new folks. And this first one is from Nicole. And she says, hi, my name is Nicole. And I recently found your podcast after binge watching season three and then became super sad it was over. I started searching for all things Stranger Things and found your podcast. I started back with your season one podcast and listened to all of them. You guys are great. You ask the questions I have and always discuss your thoughts, which sometimes is not something I even thought of. Anyway, I'm a background actor, basically a professional extra for TV shows, commercials, and movies. I was so amazed at this season's mall scenes and read that they used over 3,000 background actors over the course of the season. I personally love working on period pieces like this. I love the commitment the hair, makeup, and wardrobe team puts into every main character and background actor. I also heard that they gave hundreds of perms to the background actors. That's commitment. I hope season four will do some shooting in the New York area because I would love to work on this. Thanks again for a great podcast. Your relationship reminds me of my husband and 21-year-old daughter. Hysterical. Stay funny and strange, LOL. And that's from Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. Very cool. Yeah. She stole my outro. Nah, she kind of... She, she somewhat stole my outro. She made her own. Yeah. She did good. Well, I'm glad you discovered us, Nicole. And uh, wow, went back and listened to all of us. I all know. I'm sorry you had to listen to our voices that much. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Dino in Pittsburgh says, Hi, Daryl and Addie. I finished Stranger Things 3, and it didn't occur to me to look for a Stranger Things podcast until last week. Yours was the first one I came across, and now it's the only father-daughter team I listen to. I binged your last two seasons, and now I'm going week by week with season 3. It's nice to have the perspective on the era I have, Daryl, paired with fresh eyes and ideas. Addie. <laughs> it's refreshing to have a podcast that keeps the language clean so I can listen to it in the car with my daughter. Stay strange, Addie. <sighs> <laughs> well he's, he's telling you to stay strange yeah okay so he, yeah that, that's acceptable i'll accept that thank you <laughs> stay strange to you too yeah that's cool another one discovered us went back and listened to the whole back catalog 
I don't understand that kind of commitment. I, I, I can't listen to people talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have to listen to people talk now as we get our uh, feedback for this episode uh, kicked off with Jeff, or as Addie likes to say, Geoff. Transmissions from the Upside Down. Okay, folks, I'm a huge fan of Lost and Fringe, and I've loved Stranger Things. But this episode took the series to Lost levels. This was a flat-out amazing episode, and it's got me thinking. I really think that the Shadow Monster, Mind Flayer, whatever we're calling it this season, is physically inhabited these bodies and taking control, but I think it is separate from what is going on at Starcourt. I think that what they're doing could be aiding the Flayer, but it's not the reason why the Flayer is gaining strength. And here's my crazy theory. I think that it's going to take these Russian scientist group at Starcourt and our group of kids to take this Mind Flayer out of commission. So that's my crazy thoughts. Man, oh man, I cannot wait to see the next episode. All right, X-Force 11 out. I'm with you, Jeff. I miss the way I see it going down, too, is they're going to have to work together with the Russians to beat this thing. That's your theory. (laughs) Yeah. This is one of the situations where Eddie can't say too much. All right. Get that. Uh, Let's get back. Thank you, Jeff, by the way. Let's get back to written feedback. This one comes in from Ben T. And he says, hey, guys, Ben here with my thoughts on season three, episode four, the sauna test. Now, this episode ended with a friggin' bang with the final battle with Billy. Also, the Russian elevator was interesting, and Erica working for ice cream was funny. Plus, Jancy is no more. But until next time, stay strange. My outro! <laughs> I th- I, I'm, not re- I'm not ready to write off Jancy quite yet. I think they'll work through it. That's what you think? That's what I think, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks, Ben. Great sign off, by the way. Dude. Uh, speaking of great things, here's a great name. Let's go to Steve. Hey, Daryl and Abby. This is Steve from New Jersey. First, my first time calling in, like my other favorite shows, uh, Fringe and Lost. I came into uh, Stranger Things late and have only just binge watched all three uh, seasons uh, over the past couple of months. But I, uh, there's so much to see in this show, uh, being a child of the 70s and 80s. There's a lot of detail. So a few things. Personally, I have the same sheets that Hopper had wrapped around himself when he woke up naked on the couch um, uh, after he got knocked out. And I had the score four game that is on the bookshelf in the background, too. Not a very popular game, but uh, I had it when I was growing up. Similarities to Fringe. So many. In this episode, when Will was demonstrating to the gang with the picture and his hand and explaining how the mind player could still be in Hawkins, He's explaining something by demonstrating that he could have just explained with words, but like Walter in Fringe, he, he demonstrates, which is, is great. There's callbacks everywhere in this show. Uh, Mayor Klein, when he's getting a crap beat out of him by uh, Hopper, says, quote, you don't want to mess with these people, Jim, which is like the line from the Jim Croce song, don't mess around with uh, Jim. 
So it's a callback and probably a foreshadowing as to Jim uh, or as to Hopper kicking butt in the future. Uh, comparisons to the 80s uh, can't help but be made. Uh, Nancy says to uh, Jonathan um, when he's criticizing her, I didn't be- uh, realize I lived in a bubble. And he says, well, I don't live on a two-story house on Maple. So a two-story house on Maple was considered to be a high-end back in the 80s as compared to the mansions we see these days. And the 80s was more of a time of innocence, too, when Nancy and her mom are speaking and her mom is giving her a pep talk and her mom calls the guys to paper heads. And Nancy is, is surprised about that. Unlike today, where we kind of are not surprised when that kind of language comes out of everyone's mouth. So uh, there's more to say, but I think my time is up. So thanks for doing all this, and I'll be calling in in the future. Well, awesome. Thank you, Steve. Good to hear from you. And glad you found our podcast. Glad to have you contributing. And, uh, man, I'm like you, though. I see a lot of um, especially fringe similarities with Stranger Things. No question. I never watched Fringe. We need to fix that. No, we don't. All right. Well, let's get back to the written feedback. Uday says, hello, Daryl and Addy. I uh, just wanted to chime in all the way from India and say that episode four of this season, The Sauna Test, was one of my favorite episodes to watch across all three seasons. The addition of Maya Hawk as Robin this season has been marvelous. Sadie's facial expressions are the best. Although it's humorous, I'd have to agree with Daryl that Erica has been annoying this season. No. That's right. Daker acting in this episode was so good. Lucas's wrist rocket came to good use. The way the kids trapped Billy was good thinking on their part, and the action sequence that followed was directed very well. I have enjoyed listening to your podcast and looking forward to the next few episodes. You both are doing an amazing job. Keep up the great work. Thank you. All the way from India. I know. That's so cool. Isn't that cool? See, so we've had comments in this episode about um, they like that we keep the language clean in our episodes so that they can listen to it around their kids. And that is the primary reason we keep our episodes clean. But one of the other reasons we keep our episodes clean is that explicit podcasts are blocked by some countries. And India is one of those countries that blocks explicit podcasts. So Wait, why do they do that? I don't know. But they're, they're not the only country that does that. Um, but they're one of them. So our podcast would not be able to be in, in Uday's country if we were an explicit podcast. So, and I, I, I feel one of us has definitely pronounced your name wrong. Maybe even both of us apologies. I know I just pronounced it differently than Addie did. Yeah. Um, so apologies if, if we both did or whichever one of us did, I certainly wasn't, didn't mean, we don't mean any disrespect by that for sure. But yeah. Glad to have you listening. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> Sorry, it's my gift. Um, let's get back to uh, audio. And here's Chris. Hey, Daryl and Addie. This is Chris from New York State. Will says in this episode, I felt it before whenever he was close. And that really reminded me a lot of Harry Potter, because if you're familiar with Harry Potter at all, you have Harry and his arch nemesis, Lord Voldemort. And Harry always knows when Voldemort is close because his scar burns. So that really reminded me a lot of Harry Potter. We get the answer to Daryl's question of what happened to the piece of the Mind Flayer that was inside Will. So it seems like it has 
stayed here after all. It was really, really cool to actually get an up-close and personal look at the Mind Flayer, although he seemed kind of small because in the past he was massive. I mean, he seemed to just be like a skyscraper and he didn't seem that big, but it could be that that's not the entire Mind Flayer, that that's just the piece that was left in our world. So, I don't know. I'm a little bit confused about that, but I did think that it was really cool to get that up-close and personal look at him, although I find him terrifying. I always have because I'm arachnophobic, I'm terrified of spiders, and he has a very spider-like look to him with all of those tentacles or whatever they are. I love when Elle and Mike confront each other and have that conversation. It just shows how much Elle has grown up and how she's coming into her own personality, so I really loved that scene. I also really am enjoying seeing Will being such a huge help to the group. I mean, he has an advantage because he knows the Mind Flayer's strengths and weaknesses, so to see him contributing to the group that way is just such a great thing to see. They raised the temperature up to 220, and I was like, wouldn't that kill somebody? I mean, sometimes it gets to be 100 degrees up here in New York State, and I can't handle that. And that heat actually can medically cause death. I mean, you can have heat stroke from that. So 220, I'm just like, how would anyone even survive that? One thing that I found surprising in this episode is that it's clear that Max actually does love Billy. I mean, she has that familial, unconditional love for him. She says, I really hope it's not you. And then we also see her shedding tears. She's crying when he's in the sauna begging for help and saying that it's not his fault. And it's nice to see the wrist rocket finally accomplishing something. <laughs> <laughs> that ending sent chills down my spine. I was just like, wow. I mean, that was so creepy and unnerving, that last scene. And again, I think it was Bradley that posited that theory that the Mind Flayer was going to raise some sort of undead army to use. That way, if he died, he would still have an army. And it seems like he was 100% correct because of that last line. The Mind Flayer says, she could have killed me, but then Heather, or whoever Heather really is, says, yes, but not us, as we get the camera moving across the room to show us the undead army of zombies. So, very, very cool, and I have to hand it to Bradley because he was 100% correct. I don't know if he was basing that theory on anything that he saw in the trailer, because I didn't see the trailer, so I don't know, but if not, wow, <laughs> I have to hand it to you because you were dead on. So, I am giving this episode seven heartfelt mother-daughter conversations. I know that rating probably seems a little bit low, but the reason I'm dropping it a little bit is because I felt like the pacing was kind of slow up until the last part of the episode. It didn't really get very exciting until near the end. But overall, I did love the episode, and like I said, that ending, wow. <laughs> All right, thanks so much. The wrist rocket is useful, as shown in season one, episode eight. Um, I mean, it did serve as a diversion in that episode, you're right. No, it helped call the Demogorgon. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and you know, we didn't talk about the specific comment that Billy and Heather had there about it almost killed me, and she said, yeah, but not us. And I don't know if that was Billy saying that, you know, like, he almost killed me, Billy, or if it was the Mind Flayer saying I, he, she almost killed killed me, like she almost killed the Mind Flayer. It makes sense that it would be the Mind Flayer saying that, but I kind of took it as Billy was saying that, so, hmm, what do you think? So the mind flare just took over Billy. So I feel like it was talking it was talking about Billy himself cuz the mind flare is like in all those other people too. Yeah. Plus like that that big thingy that was that possessed Yeah, I don't think that's the mind flare. I think that that's like just some beast thing like it turned the rats into that thing. 
And I'm, I'm glad, but even Chris said he was confused. I'm confused too. Like I know all those things. I'm assuming all those things will be answered, but yeah. Okay. Lots to, lots to speculate. That's what makes the show so good. All right, Chris, thank you so much. Let's get back to some more audio. This one from Elizabeth. It was a big episode for 11. This seems like the first time we've seen her in actual danger as far as where it looks like she was going to be overpowered by some sort of supernatural force. Although Billy says later that she could have killed him. So maybe she wasn't in real danger, but it definitely seemed like he could have killed her. So it makes you wonder where the season's going, if we're finally getting to a point where Eleven can't just come in at the last minute and save the day. So we'll see how that unfolds. Also, really sweet that we saw Max cares about Billy and that she was hoping he wouldn't be the host and saw some of Billy's humanity, possibly, unless it was just the mind flare trying to manipulate Max, but talking about how he was sorry and that he was made to do it. It was probably Billy because the same thing happens with Will in season two when he has those moments where he says he's sorry and the shadow monster made him do it so um that was just really sweet to see that part of their relationship which speaking of billy at the end um when he goes into the um steelworks and you see that there's many people um maybe a dozen or so maybe over a dozen who have also been i'm calling them zombies now because that seems like what they are how many are there also are those the people that billy saw in his kind of upside down vision when he first um, encountered the Mind Flayer, and were they, so was Billy not the first one who got the Mind Flayer in him, or was that like a prophetic vision of like, these are all the people that Billy has to go infect, or is it like he infected Heather, and then they've been infecting other people, and it's kind of everybody who gets infected has been infecting others? I don't know. Um, also, it seems like it was clarified that Billy was the one in the tub of ice at Max's house, and Heather probably had her own tub of ice at her house so maybe just because the mind flare likes it cold then maybe it's a common practice once you become a mind flare zombie to go home and take a bath in a tub of ice um so that makes sense i was confused about that before also i love how they explain things like i loved will's charcoal drawing where he draws the mind flare and then gives the handprint to show um what's going on it reminded me of Will explaining that he was like in a viewfinder caught between two slides in season two and in season one when Eleven flips the D&D board upside down to explain about the upside down. The, the Duffers do so well at explaining their like complicated sci-fi um, plot lines um, using some sort of simple symbols and it, I just really enjoyed that. I thought that was really well done. And... Speaking of the Mind Flayer, with Mrs. Driscoll, they kind of ended the episode before really telling us what happened with her because she seemed like she was in a pretty bad spot with the increasing heart rate and all the like black Mind Flayer veins uh, all throughout her body. And I'm also wondering if Nancy's going to recognize those because that looked pretty similar to when they were um, exercising Will at the end of season two. Then he got, you remember, she like pointed to his neck and was like, Jonathan, his neck, look. And so I'm wondering if she's going to make that connection to the Mind Flayer after seeing those similar black veins on Mrs. Dreskel. As far as Steve, Robin, Dustin, and Erica, uh, I'm loving their adventure. And what a twist that the room turns out to be an elevator. And I'm wondering where they're going and how screwed they're going to be. I love Erica's plan to get free ice cream for life, but I hate to break it to you, Erica. This deal is only going to be in effect as long as Steve and Robin are working at Scoops Ahoy. Also love how committed Dustin is to Steve, that he's just going to die with Steve if Steve dies. That was really 
well, overdramatic and also very sweet. So, and what is this mysterious green lantern? Um, I've definitely seen pictures of that before the season came out. And so now I'm super curious how that's going to fit into everything as well. And I was so happy to see Karen talking to her kids. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. When Nancy opened her door to Karen, um, Karen chose not to pick the lock like she did in the first season, but there were just so many times and Karen was always like, you can talk to me, you can talk to me, and all of her kids were ignoring her. And I love how Karen's just kind of coming back around this season. I loved her her talk with Nancy. Uh, that was so sweet. Gave Karen a lot, really a lot more personality than I think we've seen her with, and it almost seems like she's kind of turning a corner from being hopeless to feeling like she can contribute something again. I just feel really fondly <laughs> towards Karen now, and I'm really interested to see what she does the rest of the season. So, yay, Karen! <laughs> I thought Karen was going to pick the lock, too. Even when I was re-watching this episode, I forgot what happened. Oh, really? So I thought she was going to pick the lock like she did before. Elizabeth just reminded me, I never did, I never did bring up that... That line with with Dustin and Steve, uh, you know, if you die, I die, or what? I had it written down in my notes. I just looked over it, but it's a really stupid, sure, but very nice, authentic, sentimental moment there for Dustin and Steve. More to like those guys. Yeah, because it's such a big change from season one. Because uh, whenever Will and all of them were leaving Mike's house at the very first scene, mm-hmm. uh, they were um, saying how Nancy's not fun anymore. It's because of Steve. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. And then she called it a green lantern, which I, I'd never thought to use the green. Like I never, I never would have called it a green lantern, which is interesting because we get the green lantern comic book earlier in the episode. So perhaps there's a parallel there that I hadn't considered. Good stuff, Elizabeth. Let's move on to Justina. Hi, Daryl and Addie. Wow. That was another intense episode. Daryl, when Steve pulled that cylinder out of the Chinese food box, I got a flashback of, I think it was the season one finale of X-Files where Scully pulls the cylinder out with the alien in it. And when Max was really close to the sauna window and Billy was trying to reason with her and get her to let him out, and then the monster was activated... I was wondering if this would be the moment that you would be right and Max would manifest some kind of powers to help Eleven against the Mind Flayer. This episode gets 10 out of 10 boxes not filled with Chinese food. This week's poll question, will Billy survive the season? Don't forget to head over to GoldenSpiralMedia.com under the Stranger Things podcast and cast your vote. Thanks very much for playing along with all the polls this year. Have a great week and keep your eyes open for all things strange. Excellent as always, Justina. Well, you know, she mentioned my theory about Max that you have busted my chops on so many times. Um, <laughs> I do have a theory about that. Uh-huh. Of that I will mention when we talk about the comics when Bradley's audio comes back up. So I'm not dropping that theory yet. Uh, Addison, did you vote on last week's poll? Didn't you do it for me? I don't, no, I did not. The question was, who was your favorite investigative team in this particular episode? Last week's, you know, the uh, which was the case of the missing lifeguard, right? We had Max and Eleven, Dustin, Steve, and Robin, Nancy and Jonathan, Hopper and Joyce, or the cop-out answer, all of the above. What is uh, your response? I'm stuck between Max and Eleven and um, Dustin, Steve, and Robin. Yeah. I'll go with Dustin, Steve, and Robin. All right. 
I went with Max and 11. So we're going to cast your vote. So the results are, wow, Dustin, Steve, and Robin got 73% of the vote. Max and 11 got 13%. All of the above got 13%. Nancy and Jonathan got 0%. Hopper and Joyce got 0%. (laughs) (laughs) So go over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash stranger things. Look for this episode, which is the sauna test and cast your vote for this week's poll question. And thanks to Justina for putting that together each week. She also writes the blog post that accompanies this episode. Yes. Thank you for doing that because (laughs) I I hate writing the blog post. (laughs) All right. Excellent. Okay. Let's move on to our next feedbacker. And it's Yadalogical. And I reached out to him this week because Addie and I were just talking like, we haven't heard from Adam. It's so weird. And apparently he'd been sending it in, but it hadn't been coming through. It got lost in cyberspace somewhere. So I think we've figured that out. So Adam, sorry about the, uh, the snafu there, but here he is for this week. Hello, Daryl and Addie. This is Yadalogical. So it looks like the mind player is building a physical body for itself. That's kind of creepy. My first thought, as soon as we saw the air vent and its small size, was this is a job for Erica, and oh boy, she sure executed Operation Child Endangerment well. I'm still a bit confused why Team Scoops Ahoy is so obsessed with solving the Soviet invasion mystery themselves, instead of contacting something like the CIA. In Season 1, there was good reason not to trust the authorities, and in Season 2, they were working with them. Why not in Season 3? Anyways, the main thing I wanted to talk about in this chapter was the sauna test. I'm glad the kids were able to, for the most part, put aside their differences and work on something much more important than teenage drama. The plan to lock Billy in the sauna was very clever, but I think Mike could have been a little bit more clear what he meant, instead of just shouting, Boys only! It was quite powerful to see, for a brief moment when the mind player retreated, Billy in a moment of weakness, apologizing for his actions. It would be awesome to see Max and Billy show some sisterly-slash-brotherly friendliness for each other if he eventually does get freed. I don't think Billy can make up for the bad things he did in the past, unlike Steve, but I do think that he can change as a person. Now, I want to make something clear. We do see Lucas use the wrist rocket to knock Billy over. This is totally different from the scenario in Season 1, Chapter 8. Now, in both situations, the projectile hit the target in the head, creating a torque in the rightwards direction. The only other torque on their body would have been from the friction on their feet, which happens to be in the exact same direction. If these two torques are powerful enough, they'd add up and knock their recipient to the ground. This does happen to Billy. This doesn't happen to the Demogorgon. The Demogorgon was clearly launched across the room by a force in which the torques were balanced, aka not the wrist rocket. If you disagree with me, you disagree with the law of conservation of angular momentum itself, which I believe is illegal according to the laws of physics. Anyway, back to the main point. Billy escapes and starts to strangle Eleven. At this point, to be honest, I was panicking. The mind player had every reason to kill her, and no reason to spare her. Last week, I predicted that Mike would die because the show was due for an immense tragedy. And if it wasn't going to be Mike, it would probably be Eleven. I just didn't expect her to die so soon. But then Mike, out of nowhere, manages to distract him, long enough for Eleven to regain her senses and yeet him through the wall. Oh man, I wish I could experience that scene for the first time again. I mean, I wish I could experience all the Stranger Things for the first time, but that scene in particular was something special. You're wrong about the wrist rocket in season one. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, okay. You just some things people just won't understand, and this is one of those things, Adam. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. All right. By the way, the Morse code message in that, if I did it right, is don't die. 
good advice. Um, <laughs> don't say, don't say yeet. <laughs> he's young enough to get get by with saying yeet. How old is he? I don't know. He's in his twenties. Mm. Oh, I mean, he's not allowed to do land without kids. So, <laughs> wow, you're one of those people, huh? <laughs> All right, Adam, it's good to hear you back on the podcast again. Sorry about the uh, the whatever caused us to not get your messages in previous weeks. But uh, anyway, let's move on. We have uh, one more audio feedback, and this one comes in from Bradley. This is Dustin. Do you copy? Over. Hello, dear old Addy. This is Bradley coming at you again with another transmission from the Upside Down and today I'm going to do things a little bit differently. Mike has a good probability of dying. I think that the series is hinted at that. If you look at the D&D play sessions in Season 1, we had Will, who of course rolled and did not make his save against the Demogorgon and was gotten. And in Season 2, you have the introduction of the Thessala Hydra, which ended up coming into play. And in Season 3, even though it's sort of like a mock campaign, and I think they tried to end it quickly, you have the zombie horde coming after them. And what does Mike say? Even if it is in jest, what does he say? He talks about, he says that they're going to burn down the place and die and become cult heroes. And that leads me to believe that every season prior whoever character something has happened to, it is reflected in the real world. So, that would lead me to believe that since Mike's character ended up, uh, you know, dying in this campaign, that that would translate into real life, that his character's going to die. Um, also, Finn Wolfhard, uh, he's got a somewhat successful band, but he's got a really successful career, and, you know, after it, and he's done some other projects, I think that he would be the most likely to sort of take off. Whereas, the, the third choice, I would say... Who is who I personally think David Harbour, he had filmed Hellboy at this point, I believe, but I'm not sure uh, if you look at uh, what we discussed in the, our last group episodes. And what I've talked about is David's story arc or um, Jim, Jim's story arc throughout that it parallels Eleven uh, from their beginnings, uh, him in Vietnam and her and Hawkins Lab and him doing things in 1977 in New York and going undercover and doing bad things and Elle doing bad things. Uh, with Kali that she didn't agree with. And in season one, Elle sacrifices herself to save her friends, and she ends up coming back. She has that messianic uh, storyline, you know, the the death and the resurrection. Uh, And that would be only fitting if Hopper had the same thing, the death and resurrection storyline here. But I'm not sure how they would do it, how they'd do the death and resurrection part. But uh, let me just add some things here. Uh, there, are th- there are a couple of comic books that pop up between, you know, in this particular episode, one being Green Lantern 185. Uh, it was a special issue that introduced Jon Stewart as the new Green Lantern who replaces Hal Jordan and sort of gives his backstory. But at the end of the comic, what happens is Hal Jordan is going to try out this solar jet. He is knocked out by Richard Davis, who takes the solar jet out and is transported to another place by Eclipso, who would... Uh, who is a villain who would possess people through black diamonds to get them to do his bidding. Sound familiar? But the most interesting part of this, I believe, is that there's this little section at the end that sort of wraps things up, and it's uh, and it shows the Green Lantern, is what he's referred to as, standing at a podium giving a speech before his imminent death. 
Uh, he at first talked about how he had to step up to be a hero. He was the policeman who was there to fix problems. So eventually he was put in a role where he wasn't doing the physical heroics, but he was doing, he was ruling on matters of judgment of rights and wrongs. But he questioned himself saying, but sometimes I wonder if I am setting an example or just making rules. But he ended with this line, I only hope that left to themselves, they will regain what I took from them and become what they always should have been. Who does that sound like? Somebody who was a literal policeman who went from brute force to more reasoning, who had, who shifted from that role. Maybe they became a parent or maybe they adopted somebody from a lab and they created rules and then you have Wonder Woman's issues uh, 324. Uh, they feature a the they feature the Atomic Knight. Basically, in Wonder Woman 324, there's people being kidnapped by aliens. They're not sure what's going on. Uh, Wonder Woman and Steve, who is her husband, eventually come across the Atomic Knight, who they first thinks they're an enemy, but he ends up helping them out and he's trying to prevent a nuclear war. They are eventually surrounded by Russians, but one of the Russians end up reluctantly helping the Atomic Knight gain access to find the bomb that could explode the entire planet. And Wonder Woman and Steve have to go find the switch to the bomb to help them defuse it. Long story short, Wonder Woman has to stop the, this big bad alien. They get the part. The part doesn't stabilize the bomb like they need it to, so the Atomic Knight does what any great hero would do. He flies the bomb out in space while the Russians finally descend upon him and start shooting at him. He manages to break the Earth's atmosphere and he sacrifices himself to save the world. Uh, and there's a great quote. Uh, Imagine that you live upon the surface of a star. Imagine that you draw a breath and your lungs fill with fire. Imagine heat that makes each fiber of your being cry out for a death that will not come. Imagine all these things and you will share in some measure what the man inside the armor of the atomic knot experiences now. Great line, great scene. Then it cuts to the next panels on Earth, and they go through things logically, and they make the point that it couldn't set anything ablaze without oxygen, and it is even said that it's exploded harmlessly, and the comic sort of ends there, and it's not really expounded upon anymore. Take all that information how you will. Somehow, I feel like the Atomic Knight is Hopper. Something's going to happen. I think the bomb represents the the laser cannon that the Russians have. Somebody helps Hopper get in there. Whatever mechanism they have to detrigger the laser cannon doesn't work. Hopper has to stop it. And so he sacrificed himself as he did here. But I don't know if this was just a part of the comic and because it's all subjective here. So maybe Hopper comes back. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But... If you wanted to go through with the messianic storyline part, I guess they would have to have him come back. I don't know. But that's a lot uh, to go through. I can't wait to see what you guys think and hear what all the other listeners think. All right. There it is. What do you think? I don't even know what to say. That was, that was that covered a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did. He shared a lot of similar things that I thought that I had on the comics, although he the whole tie-ins he, he found there with Hopper specifically um, were I did not share those. Um, I saw someone sacrificing themselves for the other people as being a potential tie-in to the show. Uh, but even though I had made the prediction that that might be Hopper, I didn't really uh, try to assign a specific character to that. And so, But I loved what he said, and wow, it's compelling uh, for sure. Uh, a couple other things I found in the comics, which also one comic he didn't mention, and he and I were chatting about this earlier, he didn't notice it, but that's um, 
Uh, Green Lantern 184 is also shown on screen. And then the other Wonder Woman is uh, that comes after this would have been 327. And although not shown on screen in this episode, I went ahead and and read a lot of it. And I found that it also ties in really well. And that in 327 of Wonder Woman, there's a villain that comes back that Wonder Woman thought that she had killed. And it comes, it turns out that it's not dead. And so that obviously ties into what we're seeing here in Stranger Things, specifically with this episode where they realize the thing they thought they had killed is dead or is back alive. Again, the Russians, there's a there's the storyline he mentioned it, where the Russians and the Americans who were at war with each other realized that they need to work together to get rid of this bomb that can destroy the world. So that's that's what I'm basing that three I said earlier where I feel like you know, Eleven seems to have met her match, and it's going to take the Russians and the Americans working together with Eleven to be able to defeat the big bad this season. And then I also mentioned I was going to throw something out about Max. In that Green Lantern comic, we saw uh, how Jordan, we saw how he came to be Green Lantern, and we also see an alternate timeline or an alternate world of when when Hal was chosen as Green Lantern, it was between him and another guy. And because Hal was physically located closer to where the previous Green Lantern was, because he was dying, it was Hal was the one that was chosen. And we get to look and see what would have happened if the other guy would have been chosen instead. But even still, we also see in the other Green Lantern uh, comic that's featured here is a new Green Lantern is chosen. Hal steps aside, as Bradley was saying, and a new Green Lantern is chosen, John Stewart. So it just made me think about how I've always said that Max has powers. And what I could see happening here is that someone else is going to be selected. Someone else is going to be shown to be worthy to have powers in and of herself and uh, or to, to be put in a position where her powers are going to need to be demonstrated. And so I feel like either it's a passing of the torch or uh, someone coming to the forefront that may not have come to the forefront otherwise. And so maybe I'm kind of shoehorning that theory in there forcefully, but I still feel like Max could be shown to have some sort of powers. Although why she hasn't demonstrated them yet in this, at this point, especially after this week's episode, I don't know, but I'm sticking with it. Sticking with it. All right. Thank you, Bradley. Good stuff. Uh, let's get into some Facebook stuff. You ready? Yeah. All right. You want to take the first one? Yeah. Uh, Jamie Wallace says, second best episode of the entire season behind the finale, in my opinion. Mm. And Mike said, I totally agree with Jamie. One of the best episodes of the season. Love the entire scene in the sauna slash locker room with Billy and the kids. So well acted by Daker, a.k.a. Billy. A crazy moment alert when Max turns on her brother and tells Will to crank up the heat. I think this scene is one of the game changers for the season. Yeah. It's kind of like whenever um, Joyce turned up the heat in season two for Will. Yeah, totally. Then Rebecca replied to that. Uh, That moment with Max reminded me of the scene when Joyce yells, get the heck out of my son and cranks it up. Yeah. Yeah. Thomas uh, says, Elle being strangled is the hardest scene to watch. Seeing that fear in her face, the thoughts running through her mind that there's nothing she can do to stop this guy who is going to kill her. Pain. That's all that scene gives me. Yeah. I'm just glad Mike stepped in. I am too. 
Faith says, this was absolutely one of the best of the season. Every single actor was bringing in their A-game. I love the horror film type tension built with Billy and the kids playing parallel to Mr. Driscoll and Nancy. And it played well with the 80s espionage movie feel of Hopper and Joyce's scenes. Ben says, this is Stranger Things at its strangest or finest dealer's choice. I haven't watched past this episode, but right now it has two of my all-time favorite scenes. First, the scene between Nancy and her mother in the kitchen was as emotionally powerful as any scene I've seen in the series. Finally, a moment of parent-child connecting in a meaningful way, something that doesn't happen often on Stranger Things. This felt like the payoff of all the absentee parenting in seasons one and two. Second, of course, the showdown between the gang and Billy. Will wasn't the only one with goosebumps. I loved seeing Eleven stretched to her limit and discovering she can't win every battle. Also, Mike, better late than never, I guess. It's going to take a real team effort to defeat the entire army of zombies if Elle can't take out Billy on her own. Overall, loved the episode. It definitely had a more terrifying tone than most. Can't wait to watch the next a week from now. Oh man, that is a long ways away. With you there, Ben. And then Rebecca replied to that. Love Nancy and her mom. That sauna scene was tense. And Paul said, here's a fun fact regarding this episode. It was not in the script for Dacre to put his head through the sauna door window. He was feeling the emotions in the scene and ad-libbed that part, not expecting it to break the glass. Thank goodness for this cast. Their dedication really brings the material to life. Wow. That's cool that that was improvised. Yeah, there were some other scenes uh, that were improvised. One of them you haven't gotten to yet. And then one I talked about earlier with Eleven collapsing into Mike. I knew that one. I just forgot it. There was like a slide. Like There were a few slides that had different scenes and I just like read through them. Oh, cool. We have to let me know when the next one comes. Uh, I will. Okay. Um, Jeff says, they've definitely turned up the horror vibe this season. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally agree. Mike said, first scene after the opening credits, Joyce and Hopper, or was that Lorraine and Marty? Nice little Back to the Future shout out there. I, I wouldn't have picked up on that either, but he's totally right. When Marty's in his underwear and in Lorraine's room, and she calls him Calvin because it's... Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Again, that's his mom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so weird. Yeah. Linda says, I agree that this was a fantastic episode. The darkness and horror show vibe made me really appreciate the much-needed humor in the earlier part of the episode. Can anyone keep a straight face just looking at Steve and his Scoops Ahoy uniform? <laughs> Erica, the perfect capitalist, reminds me of Alex Keaton, Family Ties. was a huge hit in the years that Stranger Things takes place. Uh, he's got no collarbones like Gumpo. <laughs> Steve, I'm pretty sure it's Gumpy. Uh, who wouldn't have insisted on ice cream for life. I forgot about the uh, family ties, uh, Alex Keaton. It's a good point because you and I were talking about if I knew what capitalism was when I was her age, but Alex Keaton was the character that Michael J. Fox from Back to the Future played on Family Ties. And that was very much what he was about, if I'm remembering right. He was very politically activated. He was a teenager, but still. Um, Anyway, it's a good, yeah, it's a good pickup, Linda. Uh, Rebecca said, love Erica. She's so fun. Operation Child Endangerment. Laffy face. Linda says, 9.5 finally used slingshots. They have been used before, okay? <laughs> it's, it's But not to any effect. It did have an effect. 
It helped. You keep saying that. And I just don't think you understand. Adam and everybody else is wrong. Okay. Chris said, uh, well, it has been used before, but it never had any type of effect before. <laughs> I should have read this first before I commented. Uh, such as when it had no effect on the Demogorgon in the season one finale. Laffy face. Wrong. False. That is incorrect. Okay. If you say so. Then Christopher says, this was the first time that I actually felt kind of sorry for Billy. He cries to Max and seems genuine. See? See? Okay. I told you. Okay. And then lastly, Nathaniel said, the music composed for this episode is amazing. I really liked the music during the sauna confrontation. The other big observation I had for this episode is the evolution of the way Ellie uses her powers. She looks like a Jedi now, especially with the way she uses her arms to throw objects. It's a lot more expressive than holding her hand out, which I think is a welcoming change. Yeah. I liked whenever, um, this was in this episode, but I liked whenever she walked back into her room after um, Mike explained that he couldn't hang out today. Mm-hmm. He She walked into her room and just slammed the door and she used her whole arm instead of just her hand. Mm, I like that too. That reminds me how in sixth grade, I I closed a locker door behind me and I accidentally smashed this this dude's hand in it. We're friends now and we, we still talk about it. I think we talked about it yesterday, actually. That's nice. Yeah. Would you like to talk about how people can send in their contributions to next week's episode? Finally, a good segue. Good job. You can send in your feedback at 304-837-2278. Or um, you can follow us on social media. Our Instagram is StrangerThingsGSM. Our Twitter is UpsideDownGSM. And our Facebook is www.facebook.com slash groups of StrangerThingsGSM. All right. Well, no predictions this week. Again, I kind of mixed them in with the conversation. So... Let's talk about some news. So we have just one news article this week. Uh, Addie found this for us, and I'm anxious to hear your thoughts on it. So this comes from comicbook.com, and it says, Stranger Things is a series with many great qualities, but one that is especially fills us with joy is the series' intense amount of 80s nostalgia. Someone recently took to the internet to inquire about the, quote, Red Room. Jonathan Byers is always working in during the show. Of course, he's working in a dark room developing photos, but it turns out that's not a practice being taught in the digital age. And so it shows this screen cap and the of uh, this conversation on, on social media. It says, what's, what's the purpose of this red room in Stranger Things? In Stranger Things, we frequently see Jonathan go inside this to quote, refine his photos or something. I don't quite understand what happens here. He puts his photos in water and somehow this makes it more clear. An example of this is the first season when he refines Barb's photo and sees a bit of the Demogorgon. Is this an old film technique? And if so, what's it called? So then the article goes on to explain a dark room is a workshop used by photographers working with photographic film to make prints and carry out other associated tasks. It's a room that can be made completely dark to allow the processing of the light-sensitive photographic materials, including film and photographic paper. And for why it's red, when making black and white prints, a safe light is commonly used to illuminate the work area. Since the majority of black and white papers are sensitive only to blue or to blue and green light, a red or amber-colored light can be safely used without exposing the paper. So you've taken a photography class at school. Yeah, we have a dark room. Okay. There. So whoever wrote this, I mean, I don't know. It just seems kind of like older generations, you know, hating my generation, Gen Z. 
<laughs> like for not knowing anything like i actually did know what a dark room is and i knew what they were doing so um, i'm not completely oblivious i mean i never got to use the dark room because i think that was for like photography three and above yeah. and i stopped after taking the you first should, one you so. should totally take more photography classes you did such a good job with your f- photo one class yeah we even talked about building a dark room in our upstairs bathroom. Did and we? We did. Like if you had continued photography, I totally would have done that. Yeah. So yeah, I wasn't surprised that you knew what a dark room was because we've, we've talked about it in our, in, but I had never really thought to explain it on our podcast because I think I was only thinking of you. Like it was, it didn't occur to me that there might be more people your age who have never seen a dark room. And it makes sense, right? With digital photography, dark rooms, you know, when I was when I was your age, that's how we developed films. We would go into the dark room and we would develop film that way. So I just took it for granted because you knew it that it was because I don't remember us talking about it on our podcast, did we? I don't think so. Yeah. I thought everyone would my age would know what it is. I mean, I have one at my school. So yeah. you go to a big school though. Like we didn't have one in my school even back in those days. Like we had to go you know this story, but we had to go to the town you and I live in and either go to the university and use theirs, which we could because my high school teacher was also taking classes at the university, so we had legit access to it. Or there was a photography studio here that my high school teacher was personal friends with the guy who ran that studio, and he would let us use his darkroom. And so that's where we would go to develop our film because we didn't have one in our own school. We're too small. Oof. Yep. So interesting. So if you were wondering about that... Now you know. All right. One more time, Eddie. How can the folks playing at home be contributors to next week's episode? Um, you can send in your feedback at 304-837-2278 or our feedback page, which is goldensboromedia.com slash feedback. You can follow us on social media. Our Instagram is StrangerThingsGSM. Our Twitter is UpsideDownGSM. And our Facebook is www.facebook.com slash groups of StrangerThingsGSM. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to a close. I loved this episode. I can't wait to see what happens next. And I hope that you'll join us next week as we talk about... The Flayed. The Flayed. Mm. All right. So I'm, I'm guessing we're going to learn more about that group that was down there with Billy and Heather. That's my guess. I do not remember what happens in this episode, so your guess is as good as mine. All right. <laughs> well, until next time... Stay strange. Stay strange.